What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Rideshare Rodeo, gig economy news and interviews, sponsored by Para and ParaWorks. I'm your host, SJ. It's time to get it on. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Rideshare Rodeo. Back again for another week, you guys. Uh, you're going to have to deal with my raspy voice. It's starting to come back, but uh, yeah, we'll pull it off today, right? Yeah. Then I've been l- kind of letting it rest a little bit when I can. So I uh, hope everybody's well. I'm going to jump in today with. Uh... So I talked about this a little bit last week, uh, not here on the podcast, but on a different piece. And I, I really wanted to. Uh, talk about it a little more so I don't if you've already seen this story that's that's okay um you know but I'm I'm curious because a lot of people when I when I tell this a lot of people might go well we've heard that story so many times um but you know I think it's time to touch on some things here so um this delivery agent um obviously Dasher accused of attempted rape and murder DoorDash faces scrutiny. It's a horrible it's a horrible story. And the DoorDasher who who attempted to rape and murder the person um did have a record that Checker nor DoorDash nor anybody caught um they had they had been two times um arrested and in prison. Um so here, here's the thing, though. Again, this is one of those stories where I really need to go to um, to a point that we talked about recently because I, I hate that when it says DoorDash agent accused or DoorDash dasher or DoorDash driver accused of attempted rape and murder because here's the thing. There is an equal number of... with Let's start with rideshare. There's an equal number of people who do rideshare Okay, that are either driving or passengers that that commit harm to the driver or the passenger. It used to feel like it was leaning very much to most things happen to the passengers, and it was the rideshare drivers. But as of late, it's it's right at about fifty fifty. I mean, as often as something that a driver does something, a passenger does something. So it's. It's really kind of balanced out. And the odd the odd part of this, the oddest part to me, is that it's carried over to the food space as well, because even in even in DoorDash, um, we see that and, and here it's not as quite as equal because here in the in the food delivery space, we don't have as many people dropping food off committing crimes, but we have a lot of people committing crimes on people delivering food. Whether it be that they've been set up and they're gonna and they're gonna have their car stolen, or you know they were told to go to here, um, 
and you know we've heard about the dismembered people uh the person in florida and then just you know a lot of these sexual allegation type things too these are much more customer based so when you hear about delivery agent accused of attempted rape and murder you know i guess my thing is just leave the leave the leave the delivery driver or the customer part out because really it happens on the delivery side it happens much more from the customers so why 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 scarn that so here's here's my thing about that though i do agree with the story though because doordash and their treatment of this is 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 horrible i wouldn't expect any different however i mean it needs to be said guys i mean like you know I think we all know, we've all had our run-ins with the apps. I don't know how many people have, have worked DoorDash that are listening. Um, I've worked all the apps, you know, I've, I've put my time in with DoorDash. It was just never, for me anyway, it was never, I don't know. I know that most people use it as their primary app. For me, it never, I never even wanted it to be. Maybe it never was as much, as many bangers, but um, in my market, but I do know that people do well in my market with it. However, most of the people that do well in my market with it, multi-app with a ton of apps. And I don't think that they even, most of the people I know don't even count on like more than half of that being from DoorDash. Whereas a lot of markets and a lot of people I talk to, it is usually if they do DoorDash, they can hate DoorDash all they want. But all the people I talk to, all the drivers around the country who multi-app. Outside of like my market, I honestly believe that most of them do more than half of their income comes from DoorDash. And so that's a big part of your, I mean, that's a, that's a big part of it. Cause if you were to, for most people, if you take half their income away, this wouldn't be um, a doable thing. So obviously half of your income is allowing you to be in this gig economy. So, you know, DoorDash, you know, we thought it was in the, in the, in the low millions but millions of dashers. Tony Shu went on the rideshare guy and told Harry that, um, no, that it's 13 million drivers. Okay, but they might not be active, and I don't know what the, what they use for active. I know that most people who stop working the platform don't call and say, hey, by the way, deactivate me. They don't go through all those steps. I think they leave it. Either they forget, they just don't care. They're like, whatever, that'll just go out next time they need something whatever or they just are like oh leave it on whatever but i just don't think that people take the time to do that it's like when we ask somebody to write a senator i mean it it's it's like you have to go it's like you have to go to the dentist to have teeth pulled and i i mean i get it none of us are like it's like <laughs> i can even, i mean i can even picture sitting you know my house going oh but what i gotta write it or i gotta type it what then what do I just email it or, oh, I'm going to mail this? I got to have a stamp. Wait, do I even have current stamps? <laughs> it's like, um, we live in such a digital age. And I know you could email them as well, but um, there's something about a stamped envelope when you're when you're emailing or when you're trying to contact representatives. And uh, I don't know. But even the emails, it's like pulling teeth. It's like, just email them. <laughs> and, uh, and just nobody wants to, you know, but you got to, we all have to remember that the, the people who want to be employees or at least want to drop a grenade in these apps for the rest of us, 
they are writing their congressman. That's where the pain comes in. Because if we're not writing our congressman, then if they are, again, we pointed this out around the town hall, that then these elected officials are actually not as as dumb as some of us make jokes about sometimes, but they're very uninformed on so many issues. I mean, I've, I've recently tried to like really take in all this, and it, I can only imagine how hard it is to be an amazing politician because you do need to, I mean, to be an amazing politician, and I got, again, guys, I don't think there are many of them, um, but you have to be on top of all of the topics and all of the subject matter that's going to be coming on and you have to be not just familiar, but really understand. And I feel like a lot of people, and I just keep learning more and more about this, a lot of people are just elected officials who have one or two, maybe three things that they're really going after. And then while they're there, they kind of rely on their staffers and their and their assistants and stuff to tell them, oh, this bill's about this, this, and this. All of your, um, all of your supporters... Um, you know, they, they all they they all want this. So you'll kind of just like, well, that's not one of my big projects. All so that's fine. I'll just vote how they want. That's not good. You know, your constituents carry a voice, but you need to be you need to be deciphering that voice, reading the actual legislation, understanding it inside and out, asking questions if you have them, but then you're representing those people. So there's so often there's parts that people don't know. So to that, I would say, you know, like, you know, like you, I mean, if we've, if we've elected somebody, you know, you take it back to your constituents or you, you make them, you, you make it understood why something would be bad or whatever, you know, but if I, I guess there's too many, I guess what I'm trying to get at is there's too many politicians who are very, very focused and, and, and I'm glad they are on some, on the things they really care about, but I've seen this a lot more lately. Two, three, four things that they really want to tackle and sink their teeth into, and they know it inside and out. But when it comes to like the broad scope, they really don't have much understanding of so many situations. Yet these people are, they have to vote on our behalf. So they're voting on bills, but really they were elected because they are pushing, you know, to end homelessness or for or green energy or that kind of stuff. Let's say they're affected or they're elected by that, but now they have to vote on employment stuff and things like that where maybe they were like, that's not really, I'll just go with the flow kind of thing. No, we don't want you to go with the flow. The flow is always just bad advice that you're getting from uh, people who are emailing and writing your office. That's why I always say it. I know, I hope that some of you do it, you know? I mean, if all of us just took a minute to, to send an email saying, hey, enough, knock this off. Yeah, I mean, that, that would really actually do something. <laughs> so um, I'm only laughing because, I mean, like, I'm just thinking how hard it is to get everybody to do something like that. But at the same time, I was thinking about, honestly, how powerful that would be. Think of half of the gig workers out there right now, either today or tomorrow, emailed their their congressman do you know how much overload that would be do you know how much like impact that would have um 
So yeah, I guess I just say that because we're coming into another election cycle here. There's some weird things, but I guess back to the DoorDash thing here real quick. So why I think this is super important though, it's not just about taking the DoorDasher or the customer out of the equation in the in the clickbait title. It's about DoorDash stating that we're independent contractors, but going that extra mile too. Like, you know, it's like they actually made a comment on this when really the person who was who's who did this should have never been on the platform. But they went as far as to say, well, you know, they're independent contractors. That's, you know, it's up to you which ones you, come on, you know, like, I, I, you know, as much as I hate it, I'd be better with no comment. I mean, don't, don't just come out and be rude and double down on, on like how little you care about a human being. That's just ridiculous. I, I, I really don't know what else to say about it. Um, you know, this is not, and this kind of stuff is not, by the way, it's not helping DoorDash. It's not helping these companies to like keep showing how little they care about people. Um, whether they think they're winning or not, or whether whatever we all think, like, oh, the app keeps changing and hurting. To be honest, like, this is bad for all of us for them to continue this because, I mean, it can only lead to either worse treatment of workers, more legislation, more government taxing of their money of the company's money which we all know they'll take out on the drivers they will find a way um so while i understand that legislation is happening in every state this is why i say we all need to be involved right now because it is happening in every state it's at least being looked at now on a very 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 real level in every single state I'm talking about the reddest states. Even the, I got to tell you guys, because without the PRO Act, even the reddest of states want this to get somewhat resolved, okay? Because they're sick of this crap. They're sick of this coming up every other week or every week and being an issue and all the lawsuits. They would love a definition to the gig economy. Now, if each state has to do it, they'll do it, you know? And a red state will treat it different than a blue state, a blue state different than a purple state. You know, they might all be in somewhat succinct, but I mean, they're all going to be differing laws and it's, it's, it's going to be a little confusing. Um, <clears throat> that said, while I'm on the DoorDash thing, then I want to move into this Minneapolis thing, but while I'm on the DoorDash thing, uh, Wisconsin talking about regulations, Wisconsin is actually pushing for some regulation that I don't think anybody would be opposed to. If you are, please leave it in the comments. I I'd love to see why um, you'd be opposed to it because um, it's basically just not only is it transparency, but it's being transparent um, coming out of the gate. So basically, if like DoorDash or whoever wants to work with a person, they have to get the written permission of the restaurant that it's okay to work with them. And I understand that. And for those that, you know, I have had a lot of people say, but that's just going to make the restaurant more money. Yeah, I get it. But I've also ran a restaurant before. So sometimes you're only, you know, you're only equipped to to handle the weekend that you have in front of you with food to your Monday delivery or something like that. Like you don't on Friday night want to run out of everything because DoorDash went off. And I know you could start setting your, your pars higher 
and bringing in more food, but you know, maybe you don't have the storage space. Maybe you're, maybe you're not looking to be on that scale. Maybe you don't like your food arriving cold from your restaurant, um, to the, to the door, you know, because people know what to expect when they come to your restaurant. Well, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, I would say that they have every right to, and with that, with the law that they're trying to put in place in Wisconsin, it also says that they need to know exact times, when it was ordered, when it'll be delivered, all of this, because again, it goes back to what I was saying. These restaurants, some of them have a very good name for themselves. And <clears throat> I think that they're fed, obviously they're fed up with like their food going out through all these third parties and then getting somewhere and being thrown in the dirt outside of somebody's house, you know, and it's cold and everything. And even though the person knows what to expect when they go get this food, it's not as good. So even if they're like, even if they understand that, like, well, of course it's pick a, or it's it's to go, so it's not going to be as good. In their brain somewhere, it's registering like oh, that wasn't as good as last time. Well, maybe the last time they went in there, maybe there's a reason why. Um, maybe it's not financial why the restaurant itself doesn't have a delivery person. Some restaurants don't like to do that. Um, I know the pandemic changed a lot of that for a lot of restaurants and made almost all restaurants want to go that route. But to be honest, that's up to the restaurant. That's This is their business. So if they don't want to do um, takeout, they don't have to. If they want to, they can make a deal with these companies. But these companies need to stop allowing four kitchens to run out of one as three ghost kitchens in a location. They need to stop doing like saying hey you want to be on our platform the restaurant's like no then they put them on the platform anyway I, mean, I don't know i grew up in a different era but this is <laughs> this is very clearly um you know not not how business is done i i don't think i mean like i know it's still all being figured out and i know that people are thinking well if it's not how business is done then this isn't how then it wouldn't be done this way but that's incorrect because their business models are being challenged everywhere right now i i know that people always think that it's you know all these other things that are causing no, non-profit really it's the fact that they're okay with their churn rate you know of having a driver for two weeks or having 10 for two weeks and after two weeks one stays nine go but then a new nine come in i mean you have that's that's horrible service first of all you know at the bet at the best places that that like i go in in denver um, like bars and stuff. I go places where the where the staff has been there for ten years or five plus years. You know, I I don't if there's a place where every week all the staff is turning over, usually that's not gonna be a regular spot. So I don't know. Um, you know, I guess my thing is each business deserves the right to tell DoorDash yes or no. It's not DoorDash's decision to decide, well, tough, we're gonna serve your food anyway. It's just not. Um, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I know that there can be a case on either side of that, but at the same time, I, I think with the size of these platforms, you need, they need deals. They're both companies, companies make deals to, together on a B2B level that never happened with this. All right, guys, before I jump into this other, uh, um, the Minneapolis thing, and then see how long my voice goes today. <clears throat> I did want to mention that there's a thing in uh, um, 
called the Salem's Skipper. Uh, it's in Salem, Massachusetts. That it's rideshare that takes you around town for just two dollars. Okay, and I know it doesn't. It sounds it sounds odd. Um, I don't know if you guys remember we had had a free cab on the podcast. Um, Uber and Lyft are doing a thing now where they're trying to kind of do what free cab was going to do, of doing advertising to reduce cost or at least advertising in app while you're using the app so that they've never done this. Maybe that'll bring down the cost, but um, the Salem Skipper is something that is sounds very interesting. I've read a couple things on them. But the other thing I wanted to get into and uh, um, before Minneapolis was the Uber um, record button. We've talked about this on this podcast so many times. I would need to go back. It's I'm guessing it's like in the double digits was like the first time. Maybe not. was like the first time we talked about this, though. It has come twice around. Both times it went to like five test cities. And it seemed like it was going to fully launch both times. But I always kind of wondered, like, well, what are you doing about privacy laws? Because unless you're in a, in a two-party consent state to record, you can't. You can't use a recording unless both parties consent to it. So um, so it would go to the test cities, then it was gone. Then it would go to the test cities, then it was gone. Well, now they're going to launch it nationwide. So Uber um, is going to go nationwide with the record button so that a passenger or a driver can hit record and record the trip. Now, I'm for that for the safety reasons. Uh, I think it's so late in the game that it's almost like, why? I feel like, again, I tell you guys this all the time. I feel like this is just PR, 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 PR. It's all this is. Um, you know, and watch, and then it'll fail, and then, then they'll say they're done with it, and then it'll come back around again. But this time, it's it's being already addressed by a few states uh, because it, it, um, it violates privacy law. So, I mean, that's, that's a no-brainer. We all saw that. I don't know why they would have thought that they would get away with that, but um, yeah, it violates privacy law. So why on earth would uh, would would <laughs> why on earth would you launch this in states where you know it's going to be a legal battle? Look, I mean, we can talk about driver pay being low because of this, that, the other, but let's not forget that, like, you know, it, it really in a good business model it should come down to just hey, price the price the things outright. So that everybody can make some money along the way. Well, I mean, we we already know that in every state they have five hundred lawyers going at it all the time. This is getting very expensive, and I guarantee you, just like everything with these, that it's coming out of our end. We, the drivers, are paying for all this crap. <laughs> so uh, when you see all these junk articles, and I say that because I I I reaggregate them on on RideshareRodeo.com. UberLiftDrivers.com. So I I reaggregate all this there, but I mean like when I I mean that's why it's so helpful that website to me too because it's it's a great tool for me to go see okay Uber record button see how many times it comes up on the search and where on the timeline because it's pretty it's pretty funny to see like for how many years they've been doing this it's just a joke um, you know it's a simple th- it's not even like a tough add to the app for a team like that they could just do it. So clearly, there's been they know it's a legal problem, but now they're just going to do it again. My guess is, is as soon as it gets enough buzz for them, they'll remove it from some states and keep it in others. And you, 
We all know how it goes. Good old Uncle Uber. So, okay, let's let's get on to this Minneapolis thing. So, let's go a little bit back in time. <laughs> uh, so, if you guys remember, we were talking about this not too long ago, right? So, the governor of... So let's the drivers of the twin cities, uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul. So Minneapolis and St. Paul make up most of the population of Minnesota. If you're not familiar with the state, um, really like a lot of it's very, very rural. Um, but Minneapolis, St. Paul is like their core population by far. I mean, almost the entire state is the the population comes from there. So they were really pushing to have uh, this Seattle model. And, you know, the Seattle model seems to be working in Seattle. I guess only time will tell, really. I know it's still it's been around for a while, but it's still new. Um, but one of my questions becomes, you know, if we get too many Seattle models, how does the company pay for things? Or how do they ever expect to get to profitability when they're already fighting to get there now? At the same time, I see why... If they can't get, I could argue, if they can't get there um, in this many years, why would they be getting to profitability anyway? So I don't know if that's been like a tool that they've used. Like, we're not even profitable. We shouldn't be talking about this yet. But, you know, obviously, clearly, they fight all this legislation. Um, the people in California who I listen to and who I talk to, like, you know, Sergio from the Rideshare Guy and a handful of other people who are really listening to, um, they live in California, and they look at the Seattle model as a good idea. So they even see that AB5 destroyed lives. Um, now, again, AB5 was not gig-related, so don't huff and puff on me here. If you're a fan of Prop 22 and you live in California, well, more power to you. Um, it's just to those of us looking in from the outside, it looks very problematic. Um and, you know, I mean, like if Prop 22 was in everybody's state, would you accept extra money from these companies? Of course you would. But it came at the expense of killing off careers and other things that probably the whole thing shouldn't have happened. Um, but now everybody's not happy with Prop 22 and they all want this re redrafted and it can't be. So it's it's this whole like, well, this is the agreement, guys. And it's now they're not happy enough. And I, I have a feeling that's where a lot of this goes. The Seattle model is an exact, you know, it, it has like whatever it is, a dollar forty um a mile and twenty-five cents a minute while active doing rideshare or whatever. And then outside of Seattle and the rest of the state of Washington, I believe it's like twenty cents less a mile and maybe twenty or twenty-five cents a minute still. But that's all well and good. And I know that. The agreement was made with the city of Seattle. I know that we know that union delegates were there. However, it's not a union thing yet. But we know they were there because, A, there were union delegates there, but the Teamsters were also there. I can tell you guys, if you don't already know, the Teamsters don't don't go places for free. They don't go just to, for the free lunch and to see what's going on and listen. If the Teamsters go to a building... It's because they're involved in something. Um, if they stay in that building like during the session and are part of the vote, it's because they are already laying some ground groundwork. Um, and so that becomes a very big concern of mine. Um, you know, I'm not against uh, unions, but 
I just have always said I don't think they belong in the gig economy. I do think we need solutions. We need definitions. We need things quickly because new legislation is coming around. And as we've talked about before, the administration is such a mess that when the when the new on October first, when the when the new when the new rule change goes into effect, this current administration is just saying we don't care if Julie Sue's nominated; she will be making all the decisions. Blah blah blah. So they're already the administration's already breaking um, how things are done in Washington. They're like, no, that's not. We're going to do it this way, and we don't. No, we don't care that she can't get elected. We're gonna we're gonna just keep her in there. So that's very scary as it is. We need definition in this gig economy or they'll be able to flip this quicker than the other independent contractors. They'll be able to turn this into some disaster, trust me, um, even if it comes just through taxation to the companies. Because here we are, Minneapolis went to vote, took a while. It was one of those ugly things, too, where they attached it to another bill that needed to pass. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with this happening, but sometimes they'll have a there's a bill that the entire state, let's say, understands needs to pass. Both sides of the aisle, no matter where you sit, it's like some state related to your state, and everybody knows it needs to pass. It's one of those things that'll pass by 90%. Then they take a bill like this and they attach it to it. And to make that pass, you need to make the other bill pass. I don't like that. I think that there's never a time for that. And if there is, it should only be when it's when it's completely 100% relevant to the bill it's attached to. There should never be an attached bill like, hey, this is to make sure that we have heat this winter, but also let's talk about rideshare pay and we'll just make it the same bill. No, that's not the same bill. And that's the kind of stuff that all of the the regular people in this country know is just trickery, so stop doing it. But anyway, they finally got both sides of the aisle. They finally kicked this thing through. This is a few months, about a month and a half ago, probably. And they got, you know, they got the, uh, everything, everybody was on board. And the, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tim Waltz, uh, the governor of, of the state. He's, he, he vetoed the bill. Now, normally he votes with his with with how with the party or with the recommendations. He is a he is a governor who has never vetoed in his life in his career. This was the first veto of his career, and honestly, I don't even know if it was one he wanted to veto. Um, he said he wanted more look stuff looked into, but we have to wonder how much of this is actually his affiliation with these companies. Um, but now, so now they're trying to go around the governor and not for the entire state, but for Minneapolis, they're trying to make it so that, uh, drivers would get, uh, a pay bump and all this. And basically it it took a lot to even get that voted on. And then the session was ending. It did get the vote and then the veto happened. And that's, I mean, that's just what happens. That's just politics. Things happen. But now they're gonna they're trying to go around him. Um and here's Uber's response anyway, as of today. So now, because they say that they're gonna go for what they initially wanted for the state, at least for Minneapolis. I don't know if it's for the twin cities, it just I keep seeing wants Minneapolis City Council. 
I don't know if that means the Twin Cities or not. Um, we got Gigan and a couple other people who live up there that probably get back to me and let me know. Um, but I, I don't know if Minneapolis City Council is also the Twin for speaks on behalf of the Twin Cities. I'm not sure. Um, but so Uber says this new Minneapolis law could drive up prices or even drive them out of the city. And this is what they had said before. And let's not forget, this is what they did in California to get the vote and to have Prop 22 put on the ballot. So are they bluffing? I don't think so. I mean, all it would take is one city to go, yeah, you you won't leave and to and to like pull the trigger here and to and if they didn't leave, they would never have any clout again to say, "Hey, we'll leave." So I honestly believe they would leave. Um but it the ordinance would give drivers a pay bump, but Uber says uh um or, but, but the rideshare driver or giant wants the Minneapolis City Council to pump the brakes. Of course they do. But the City Council is the one who is trying to go around the governor. So um, Uber sent out an email to customers. So if you have an account with Uber and you don't drive with them, but you use Uber in the Twin Cities, you got an email that said, if this bill were to pass... We would unfortunately have no choice but to greatly reduce service and possibly shut down operations entirely. Um, so would they? I believe they would. I, you know, I have I have no reason to think that they wouldn't. Um, but the other thing is that, okay, even if they didn't shut it down, and they simply just decided, okay. Uh, we're going to super shrink business, but rides are going to go through the roof in cost. I'm not really sure what the city is expecting. Maybe this is a good city that for testing out if cabs would make a comeback. I honestly don't know. Personally, I, I don't, I don't think cabs will make that comeback. I think that cabs, I think the taxi industry missed a huge portal. When Uber started, they needed to create a universal app, like for Yellow Cab, so that you could land in any given city and you had the app. Because um, as it is, you have to land in a city, find out what their cabs are, and then use the app. And that led to a plague of issues where cities we've seen have tried to move their transit systems onto Uber. Um, it happened here in Denver. You could buy your train tickets. Uh, you could buy bus tickets all it did was teach uber everything about your logistics that's all it did because in all these cities you know san antonio all these cities that had these like uber getting into the metro stuff and and uh and all in transportation it was they learned a lot they took away the ups and downs of the city they got access to this, and then they kind of just bounced, which is kind of what you'd expect. So there needed to be a universal taxi, taxi app. That would have helped. Um, I believe the cities really did a crappy job, even to this day, rolling out an app that would compete. Like, you know, I mean, why don't they have an app in the city that says, you know, hey, here's how you get your train. Here's how you get your uh, bus. 
and you can get a taxi or an Uber, and you could even compare the three prices in there at that time. Why wouldn't they want to do that? They needed to reverse engineer the idea that Uber brought to them and said, hey, we'll take over your city and we'll straighten it out and we'll do all this, that, and the other. Just false Uber promises, balloon promises, and then bounce on them. You know, it's, why didn't they just reverse engineer and say, listen, we will let our app send out to you guys. And if Uber were to say no, then they'll say, fine, we'll just go with Lyft then. Lyft and Yellow Cab. Or whatever other cabs you have, too. Like in our city, we have three. Fine, we'll just use the three taxis and Lyft. There's still leverage there. I don't know. I guess I'm pointing it out because on so many levels, we don't have the voice to fight this. Um, we do have a voice. But as I think I learned with the town hall and with other things, our voice, the best use of our voice is to get it into the ears of the people who are making legislation. You know, it's, I mean, st you know, like turning your app off at the airport and staging a 10-person a strike. I, We've seen this before. It doesn't do anything. You can't, you can't strike a platform because all that is, is is taking a day off. It's not striking. A strike is only worth a damn if everybody were to strike, and you're never going to get anybody on the gig apps to strike. I mean, in a unified way, never. Um, you know, you can, you know, we can get them to, to not take crap orders. And in, while we try and get into the legislators here, because the comp the companies have proven themselves. If this hasn't become so apparent to everybody, obviously we need to go back a couple chapters and, and get into some of this again, because if it hasn't sunk in by now that these companies are not ever going to be, okay, let's do this for the drivers. They will get to a they are to a point where it's like, okay, how can we lowball this and what agreement can we come to? But that's involving legislators. So we need those legislators to be very aggressively informed. Otherwise, they can't represent us properly. Because if they don't understand fully, inside and outside, what is going on with these things, they cannot vote on our behalf. But I feel like the Minneapolis thing is not a threat. I feel like if they do find a way to go around the governor's veto and actually push this through at the same rates, pretty much, that, I mean, I, can't, I don't have it in front of me, but they were pretty much the same as what Seattle did. Seattle's a way, the cost of living in Seattle's way beyond Minneapolis. So where they came up with these numbers, I think that was the only thing I kind of saw in the governor's veto was that he was like, let's do a little more math on this and do a little more investigating because it did seem, I got to say, I'm all for the drivers getting paid more. That's, that's my thing. And I want to, I want to advocate. I just want to advocate correctly. You know, I don't want to be one of the people going, let's strike. They don't work. They don't work. And they especially don't work in a virtual environment. You can't sit at home and strike. You can't just go take some signs down to, to, you know, wherever, you know, I mean, if you're going to strike at the airport or if you're going to go to the Capitol or whatever you're going to do, it doesn't help when you only have 15, 20 people show and there's not even a hiccup on the platform. And by that, I mean, not even a hiccup. Nobody notices that you're not there. That's pretty sad. It goes to show how bad they oversaturate the market. But again, 
I think that this is proof that we need to get into the legislators here. Now, you guys know me. I don't want legislation. Never have. Never will. However, I'm going to have to will and find a way because the companies are never going to change. But they, but they will come to the table and make some final decisions because they realize that it's almost, it's almost to like game over enough screwing around. And I think they know that, you know, they've, they've played screwing around enough that they see some things coming down the pipe that are pretty bad. Um, they could very much hurt, hurt, hurt their business even more than they already do. I mean, let's, let's be honest, dispatch car services are not no notoriously known for being the way to become a billionaire. Um, so, and I don't mean us, the drivers, I mean, it's not a good investment for many people. I think we've learned that over time. Uh, transportation's just not in general. Uh, there was a time maybe the airline industry, but otherwise, no. We've even learned from rail. We've learned from cars. It's just never It's never going to bring the profits you want. Um, but the investors are there, and it is publicly traded now. So now my view is I don't want legislation. I know you guys don't. But let's let's play ball here and make sure that at least that we come out of it with some decent legislation instead of like just going, man, I really don't want that. I really don't want that. Let me keep taking these crappy orders and I'll just hope that for the best and then not being informed and, fi and find out in our state that we're now under these new terms that none of us want to do. So with that said, you guys, that's a wrap for this week's podcast. Uh, don't forget that on Friday... Oh, I always drop the round table. And by next week, I'll have my voice back. As you can hear, it's probably going a little hoarse right now, too. Um, not really sure what's happened with it, but somehow lost the voice a little bit. That's okay. <laughs> um, we'll see you back here on Friday and uh, see you back here next week. Got some guests and stuff coming up, too. But I will save it all for next week, you guys. And uh, with that said, you go out there and uh, earn smart, be safe. And uh, be good to one another. Peace.